Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'd like to welcome you to our next episode of Free Zone Frontier with my collaborator on this series right from day one, Steve Krein. I'm in Toronto. Steve is in Manhattan. Steve, first of all, things are moving very, very quickly in both of our worlds. Very much so. I guess that's what happens when you decide to bet the future on your imagination. (laughs) Well, first of all, Dan, great to uh, once again be spending time talking about one of my favorite topics. Well, Steve, this is going to be a two-episode concentration on your model, which is Startup Health. I really, really intend the two episodes we do to reinforce all the entrepreneurs in the 10 Times and Signature Program at Strategic Coach, but also to everyone who's involved in your network, in the actual network of startup health. And, you know, if we get everybody really intrigued in those various different groups, I feel that we've done a really, really great job. This is just an idea occurred to me because I had the opportunity last November, we had a special event, and you had your team there, your management team with you. So I had a chance throughout the day that we did in Chicago of going through and explaining to team members what, you know, in terms of your own understanding of your own model. But right near the end of the day, I just came over for a little discussion. I said, Steve, you know, it just occurs to me that what you're doing is unique in the world from my perspective in this sense that it seems to me that you've created the first global entrepreneurial R&D lab. And I can't see how anyone who didn't have your background and your instincts could have done it. So it really struck me that this is kind of like a end result. This is kind of like of 25 years that you've been focusing on both in terms of how you've investigated your best spot as an entrepreneur, your best direction using your particular set of capabilities. But you come up with something that is just incredibly unique in the world. I just want to ask you the question, when I said that, that Startup Health is the first global entrepreneurial R&D lab, what were your thoughts? Because you found that an interesting thought. It was exciting to see you come to that conclusion. Also, like you mentioned, knowing me so long, also, you know, 20 plus years, knowing that what we've been embarking on with Startup Health for the past eight years has been called many things by many different people who understand pieces of it. Somebody understands the community aspect of what we do. Somebody understands the media and the communication aspect of what we do. Some people understand the coaching aspect. Some people understand the investing aspect. But very few people truly understand the macro view of really what the beauty of all of this being done together is. So a few years ago, one of our partners, actually, GE Ventures, Sue Siegel, the CEO, called what we're doing a collaboratory, you know, where you're kind of geographically not limited to walls or even regions or countries. You've got this global, incredibly wonderful opportunity to kind of connect all these entrepreneurs together. But A entrepreneurial lab, R&D lab, or anything else, you know, in any other sector wouldn't have kind of an impact like it's going to have and is having in healthcare. And I think Mm -hmm. the focus of that R&D lab matters, right? We are focused almost so acutely on this notion of a health moonshot, a seemingly impossible goal, just like landing on the moon was in the early 60s, and how far away it might have seemed that we, when we look at 
ending cancer, curing disease, making access to care available to everyone in the world, no matter where they live and no matter how much money they make, ending addiction, just these incredibly very important things that are impacting our lives today. And thinking about the fact that every day entrepreneurs all over the world are working on innovation, working on collaborating with each other to transform. When you said that, you kind of boiled it down to two words, really just entrepreneurial Mm R&D. And then when you add the idea of a global aspect to it, when you focus that lab on one thing, in fact, we call the health moonshots, you know, these 11 health moonshots, our goal for the next 20 years Mm -hmm. is to achieve them. And we only want to involve people around that goal who want to be involved and move everybody else who doesn't have the mindset and doesn't have the commitment side. That really resonates. And so when you said that, coming back to the question, you nailed it. And I love the fact that it was coming out of your mouth, not mine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, here's the thing, and I put down some of the success criteria that really makes what you do. First of all, it's incredibly transformative even to hear it talked about, but I think that the key to it, Steve, and we talked about this in respect to a lot of other things, okay, and I think that the reason why it's so powerful is because you started, you know, it wasn't about some particular medical device in some particular subdivision of the healthcare or medical division. It was all of healthcare, all of medicine, and it was global. It's things that will be basically useful for everybody. Yeah. You know, and when you think about it, next to food production, I think probably healthcare and medicine is probably the only other topic which fully involves every other human being on the planet at all times during their life. It's the buffer between living and dying. You know, basically, medicine and healthcare is the buffer that we all are hoping to keep between us and dying. Yeah, and I'm happy to say food's actually included in that, right? So, you know, if you really just look at seven and a half billion plus people in the world, every man, woman, and child, the punchline of all of this is that we have an opportunity in our lifetime, without a doubt, to collaborate globally with the right people and organizations to make what seems impossible today possible. And we talk about vision, Dan, but lots of people have short-term vision, three years, five years. In fact, there's a lot of people pushing on short-term vision in a lot of the discussions, a lot of funding plays out that way where VCs and investors look for, what do you want to do in the next three years and five years? And very often not allowing them to think beyond the period of time that quite frankly, a lot of funds Mm -hmm. have life cycles of 10 years are built for. And so when you think about 20, 30 years out and you're freed up to think about the impact you can have in that period of time, Mm -hmm. that's the shift. So when I think about 1900, there was still no flight, no airplane, you know, flight takes off in the early part of the century. 30 years later, it's transatlantic flight. 30 years after that, you know, there's a man landing on the moon. So you think about these 30-year jumps from, you know, first flight, first transatlantic flight landing on the moon. And then you look at another 30, you're like, what? What happened? Where is that next jump? And so healthcare, I think, has an opportunity to use that same kind of aspirational goal setting, but giving it enough time to happen. So giving it 20, 30 years, you have to have a global vision, but it needs to be out a long enough time to think about impact and think about what's happening in the next 
you know, 90 days or next few years as just steps towards that. And that's, I think, one of the most important things that we spend time on with people is understanding that global long-term vision is the big piece. And that's why we feel so passionate leading with that. But I think that the ingenious part about this is that you're attracting people with absolutely narrow visions in order to make up the broad vision, because all the R&D work, the research and development, is being done by entrepreneurs who have entrepreneurial companies who want to be really, really successful with their particular vision of a great improvement. Talk about the difference that that makes from the standpoint of R&D, where there's huge R&D labs that are owned by major corporations, but they each have a narrow vision. You know, more and more, we're beginning to understand that almost all intelligence is narrow. You know, in other words, your brain is looking for something, but first of all, it's taking you 25 years, and it's a continually growing project, But you moved from a particular area of taking advantage of the Internet in the late 90s, where your focus, your narrow focus, was really, really on advertising. You know, you were one of the early dot-com pioneers, but you were also (laughs) one of the few dot-com winners, you know, and all the winners that happened. But something happened with you that took you from... You know, really being an early pioneer in one particular business. Back then, in the late 90s, you also had to explain what you were doing to most people. So what was the growth of vision? And you were ahead of the game. You've always been ahead of the game, as far as I can tell, in terms of what you're interested in. You've always been ahead of the game in terms of what you're experimenting. But two things, how did it become global, the vision? But the other thing is medicine and healthcare. There's some magic click that happened that triggered you to a much bigger picture. So two things. I mean, I would say that in the 90s, when that first dot-com era was coming into fruition, I was graduating from law school in 1995, the year the internet was really taking off. It gave me the impetus to start my first company, get seed funded. And I would call my first journey not only into entrepreneurship, but into everything that I'm doing more mercenary than missionary and focused on, I hate to say it, it was an opportunity to make money and to build a business, not to change the world and make an impact. And my vision wasn't any further than a couple of years out. In fact, there's probably things that I was talking about that sounded like a one-year vision or a two-year vision or a three-year vision. So not embarrassed at all about that, but very much being transparent about, I think during those years, First of all, you know, I wasn't free to think about sure. long-term. Yeah. Debt that I'd accumulated in law school and college was massive, a couple hundred thousand dollars. And so I don't think I was free yes. to think about it because it was more like, wow, this is the internet. It's going to change the world. How can I take advantage of it, make money from it, right? Not what I think I was able to unlock because I was able to IPO my company and sell my company and finally have the freedom, no longer in debt now with yeah. with money to play with that I could not only step back, but with perspective now, have the ability to look at what I want to do with the rest of my life and how I want to spend my time. And I think I absolutely credit you and Strategic Coach and the community for kind of opening up my eyes to the freedom of my time and the freedom of my purpose and the freedom of my relationships and the freedom of the money that now is available. And so once you have that, for me, I was able to see much bigger and much longer. 
Well, can I tell you a crucial step that I don't want you to skip over here? Because I can remember the discussions after the IPO sale. I mean, after the company was actually sold, period, it was sold on the market. And I think we should stress this, that the game that we're talking about, you can't play this game if you're not confident about your cash flow. Because by the very nature of that, you have to think short term. You can't think long term. And you can't think too far beyond your own needs. Okay. What happened, and this is an observer, you know, I've watched you, and I'm very, very good. You know, I'm a fifth child. I practice on my four older siblings, and so I I have a notion what other entrepreneurs are doing. You created a unique coaching program, and I remember the coaching program, and I call it the startup to pay off coaching program for entrepreneurs. You created that. And I'm not entirely sure why you created it, and I think you thought of this might be a really interesting coaching program, but it is really fundamentally the glue that hold together both on the entrepreneurial side and on the investment side. It's the coaching program that you created in the early 2000s. What I thought, and I've got to tell you, there was an exercise we did, the results multiplier Mm -hmm. that we did. It, of course, came at the perfect time for me, which was after the sale and after I was left the company and I was thinking about what I wanted to do. And your exercise was looking backwards, what were the five biggest things that gave you productivity and the five biggest decisions that gave you leverage? And the analysis was really, I want to call it a postmortem, right? It was very therapeutic, by the way. It was better than a therapy session, could have ever been, because what it did was it took the prior, let's call it eight years, and put all of the context around the productivity leverage lens, which gave me the impetus to say, wow, had I known then what I now know, what would I have told that entrepreneur in 1996 starting the company versus what I was now able to see after the full life cycle that I had lived through? My instigation was, oh, I can coach other entrepreneurs on what I've learned. And I didn't have the perspective again at that time yet because it wasn't focused on healthcare, that it wasn't just about building a business and raising capital and exiting, which again, that was my perspective of my mercenary years as an entrepreneur. And that actually led to not only a series of things, but one of my investors from my first company who was part of that mercenary years of my life, who joined my company board after we went public and helped me sell the company. And he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer right? That was all of a sudden like a very different conversation about everything that we were doing because all of a sudden I was like, wow, exiting, selling, raising capital, that doesn't matter. Here is one of my mentors, one of my advisors, one of my friends who was now going to be fighting for his life. His request at the time was to use my knowledge and not obviously medical knowledge, but internet knowledge and technology knowledge to help him and his family navigate this using technology and the internet to unlock perhaps a silver bullet in extending his life, not saving his life. I would call it the shake. It was almost like a rattle to my core that what I was doing had not any impact what I, at that moment on impacting people's lives. I was focused on helping entrepreneurs figure out how to make money and figure out how to sell. And it seemed all of a sudden instantly meaningless. Yeah. And I have to tell you, you haven't fully told me that before. So here it is. I think I know you, and I get a whole piece of information. 
you know, I'd like to, from time to time during this first podcast, kind of sum things up. So you've put together a massive two-part. Once you have the coaching program, now you can go out into the marketplace and know who you're looking for in entrepreneurial companies, okay? And I think another tool which has become very crucial along the way is the mindset scorecard that we developed in Strategic Coach. But can you give me the real numbers? I've just put down a number of entrepreneurial companies you now have in the Global Startup Health Network. How many companies are you at right now? It's actually over 280 companies from 23 countries But the kicker here is that about 10 to 15 new companies every quarter get added to that. Out of how many applicants? Because this is really crucial. Oh, my God. Thousands. Yeah. So you're a magnet. You've achieved the status that you're the buyer and other people have to sell you on why you would be interested in, one, taking them on and introducing them to other people in their network, and also allowing them to take advantage of your coaching program that you developed. The other thing is, and we haven't gotten to that yet, but this is really what makes it extraordinary exponential, but just talk about the companies themselves and what you've learned about who belongs and who doesn't belong. Yeah. So I want to close one gap before I do that, which is we were talking about how I got into healthcare, focused on that mm-hmm. to how we shape startup health. Everything I described up until then was pre-startup health. Startup health launched eight years ago. And if I was to take my 20 year prior to starting startup health and sum it up, the things that I was now bringing to startup health and its vision were based on all of those raw experiences of productivity and leverage from all of those years, and now pointing that in a specific direction. And so I want to just kind of bring it together to say, when we launched Startup Health, the coaching I had done became meaningless up until then, into what I would then begin and how we would begin coaching entrepreneurs. So it was almost a new line in the sand, right? And a new start on everything I had done up till there, we considered practice, for what we were embarking on. I think I feel that way again today as I embark on the next phase of what we're doing. But the pieces were threefold. One, the incredible distinction between who's in your community. Everybody's in a community, right? Your family's a community. Your friends are a community. Your classmates, your team members. Who's in your community? And the power of a supportive community that has some shared values, some shared principles, And for me, it was having a shared vision and the idea that we could bring together a global army of entrepreneurs. We call it army because I think that it's what we're up against here. A global army of entrepreneurs focused on achieving health moonshots. So the idea that we would look for and be a quote unquote buyer of in your language, entrepreneurs who have the aspiration and the vision to achieve a health moonshot and Given the fact that we're believers that this will happen, we wanted people to know it's a safe community where everybody's a believer. So we're all believers that we will do this together, can't do it alone, and that the power comes in numbers. And that R&D lab kind of thing you talked about is really the framework that I now can put around the metaphor of this idea of a man landing on the moon. 400,000 people, 20,000 companies collaborating over a decade to put a man on the moon. 
And by the way, bring them back safely. <laughs> and bring them back, back safely, yeah. The Russians, by the way, had the first part of the formula. They just didn't have the second part of the formula. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I want to point to this notion of like community, who's in the community, the idea that we have criteria of what we consider to be worthy of being in. And it's kind of a funny thing. We're both inclusive and exclusive at the same time, right? We want everybody's invited but you have to have a mindset that is specifically in or has ambition to be in a certain zone, right? And it's kind of funny because everyone's welcome, but yet only certain people are welcome because, you know, everyone says, uh, I care about healthcare. I want to make an impact. Okay, well, do you have the right mindset? And so mm. mindset has been yeah. a filter for the community who we want to attract. And so, Going back to those numbers you were talking about earlier, thousands of people applying to be in startup health, but only selecting the entrepreneurs who we believe have the mindset to achieve the health moonshots, who are going to have the sustained resilience or the ability to have sustained resilience at what it's going to take to achieve those moonshots. And this is one that was apparent in 2011 when we launched, but I got to tell you, I don't think I had the words for it then. You've helped me really crystallize that, but the collaborative capabilities and the ability to collaborate because there is such a bizarre siloed do-it-yourself approach in healthcare. And I can't see when it happened, but it just seems like it's just all over the industry. Everybody goes for do it themselves, keep the secrets, don't share, don't work with others. And that's not a recipe for achieving a moonshot, a health moonshot or any other kind of ambitious goal. You've got to be able to say, these are my unique abilities and what other unique abilities do I need to do that? So our community has those components of sustained resilience, collaborative capabilities, and transformational mindset. That's who we're attracting. Yeah. And that's who we want. And we are continually pruning and curating the community to make sure that's all that's in there. Okay. So Steve, just to give some things that people can really visualize when they're listening to you, if we did a spectrum between the most advanced company in the network, and it may go right back to eight years ago, and the newest, what would be two examples that would tell people, what are people actually doing in the network, and what are they doing with the thing that they're most passionate about in the network? And then I'd like to talk about how big are these companies? I mean, what's the range of the companies? Yeah. And then what are the different specialties, you know, the different moonshot breakthroughs that they're working on. So those three, first of all, what's a new company and look like? What's the most advanced company look like? Yeah. So I want to caution the word advanced because I think the word I want to choose to use is more most transformative and has made the most progress. But okay. advanced is kind of an interesting yes. word here because what I think is important is a health moonshot, just like landing a man on the moon and bringing him safely back to earth is something that's going to be achieved down the road. So what are the baby steps and what is the progress being made? And we think that's an important decision. I want to tell you about an entrepreneur, actually entrepreneurial brothers who are not new to our community in terms of network, but two new entrepreneurs to Startup Health, serial entrepreneurs, Todd Park and Ed Park, who have built several companies, several healthcare companies, also served in the government as chief technology officer, under President Obama. He was also Chief Technology Officer of Health and Human Services and really kicked off, I would say, in 2010, the democratization and liberation of data 
to allow a lot of the innovation that is currently happening in healthcare to take place and really unlocking, I think, a new generation of entrepreneurs. So while he and his brother, Todd and his brother, Ed, they created Athena Healthcare together over a decade ago. Todd created Castlight Health. After that, they both have just so much terrific progress and achievements under their belt. They are now leading and building a company called Devoted Health. And Devoted Health is committed for the next 30 years, by the way. They very much lead with this 30-year vision focus to making sure that we are caring for our parents and our aging in a way that would be the same as bringing them into our home to take care of them as though they were in our family and making sure that everybody is cared for and taken care of as though it was your mother, father, sister, brother, or child. It's coming from a place of love and money does not come into that discussion. It's how do I make sure that I am taking care of people as they're aging the way you would want your mother or father taken care of or your spouse yeah. or child or friend. So it's a Medicare Advantage company, which mm -hmm. might not mean a lot to anybody in the country, but it's basically a company that is designed to create a whole new way to not only take care of people, but work the system that has for years been working against being able to do that kind of caring. And so while most insurance companies and most organizations are trying to cut the costs and cut the care out to cut corners to be more profitable, they're leaning in and saying, we believe using technology, using innovation, and using love, we can build a company, which is really, if you boil it down, a new kind of insurance company yes. that is not designed to make money, but it's designed to take care of people. And it will make money because we're leading with love. Well, and uh, you're creating value. Uh, value always pays for itself. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing because right from the beginning, the whole center of your vision about the 25 years, you know, what could be achieved in 25 years, the only way to improve it is to actually improve the value that people out in the public are actually receiving. How it gets funded actually becomes quite simple when you know what the value is that you want to create. So let's just shift before we move on to another spectrum to someone who is over a long number of years have actually transformed themselves in a remarkable fashion. Yeah. So one of the first companies, I would call it in the first couple dozen companies to join Startup Health back in 2012, 2013, is a company called Doctor.com. The entrepreneur is Andre Zimeles, Reed and Gary, his two co-founders in the company, who have really, what they thought in the beginning was taking a great domain name, Doctor.com, and really being an aggregator of doctor ratings, right? That was their initial thinking, that we would be the one place that would do all the doctor ratings. What they started to realize, and as we kind of discussed this idea of like, ah, let's talk about what this looks like 10 years from now and 20 years from now, and kind of like breaking them from having a short-term vision of what they're just doing now to how they can use that as a capability to change the world. And what would it be like if you could wave a magic wand and have all the balls bounce your way over the next couple of decades, what happens? And it started to unlock what I think has now become the most incredible transformation of a entrepreneurial vision from when they started to something that now looks like 
we're going to make sure that all of the best caretakers, clinicians, doctors are the ones that serve people. And all of the ones that aren't good, whether it's bed manner or capability or intelligence, get weeded out. And so now we're talking about people all over the world can now access the best care and do it because with confidence, they can rely on a massive amount of visibility into who the best doctors and clinicians are. And we could talk about like a restaurant in New York City and where you're eating, but that's not really, you know, other than having a good meal. When you're talking about a diagnosis of brain cancer or Alzheimer's disease or living with a rare disease or you're aging and you're trying to figure something out that could extend your life, you want the best of the best of the best. And doctor.com is enabling that because they've democratized this on a global scale. And so doctor.com is making incredible progress, easily one of our breakout companies. The reason I talked about advancement there is it's really about the quarter over quarter of progress they're making. And when you look at it, it's compounding. Yes. And they will achieve the moonshot of making sure that everybody all over the world can access the best of the best without any geographical or any other barriers to that information, which is so critically important. Yes. And they're just terrific entrepreneurs like Todd and Ed Park and like a lot of our entrepreneurs that we attract. They've got the seeds, but then it gets unlocked and really expanded inside of the startup health. Yeah. The interesting thing is, I mean, I'm always charmed by the fact that the entrepreneurs are the biggest audience for great entrepreneurial stories. And you've just kind of given us a tease of someone who just came into startup health and then someone who's been there right from the beginning. But there's 280 other stories in the middle that each of them we could go on for a half hour and talk about the impact on the increase of value of healthcare and medicine around the world, and all these people are collaborating with each other. You've set up a coaching program which allows them to have their own growth plan with what their particular individual vision is, but you've also created a community, a coaching community, where they get to coach each other on how they're approaching their vision. We had a workshop for our companies, and there was probably a period of 25 minutes, maybe a half hour even, where none of my team or I said a word. I felt like I was watching a pinball game. You know, the ball went over to one entrepreneur talking about, quite frankly, one of his challenges. And rather than myself or one of my team members leaning in with a suggestion, a coaching hack or something to do, Mm -hmm. somebody else leaned in with what they did. And while they might all be referencing vocabulary that we've been sharing now in our coaching program, they're all supporting each other. One of the entrepreneurs called it like an entrepreneurial 12-step community where they were all, it wasn't commiserating, it was almost like being vulnerable about what is literally going on on a daily basis and how you could feel defeated, but how everybody feels beat up every day. And it's part of the game and how you have to take it all in with the end of your day, you know, positive focus and biggest insights of what you're grateful for accomplishing. And so, yeah, it's really this idea that, No one's alone. Yes. And if I was to sum up the words that people say when they get into startup health is from that day forward, they're just no longer alone. Mm -hmm. We're approaching the conclusion of this first of two podcasts. And Steve, I want you now to really talk about the huge thing that you've built 
that now makes you extraordinarily attractive to very, very large collaborative investors. This is the other side of the global entrepreneurial R&D lab. Yeah. What the benefit is that you bring to a particular network of investors and kind of mention the different kind of investors because they're looking for different things and they're doing different things. But you've uniquely in the same way that you've attracted and screened who gets to belong to the actual entrepreneurial network, you've also done exactly the same thing to the investment community. Yeah, there's kind of two flavors of, I would say, investors that we organize them into, or I would call them really communities. One is the Startup Health Investor Network, which is a global curated network of angel investors, which are the individual investors who put money into startups, venture capital investors, and corporate venture capital investors, where there's organized pools of capital, either raised by a group of people, which is called a venture capital firm, or a corporate venture arm where they take money off the balance sheet to invest, family offices, private equity firms, foundations. Through our community of companies are investing in our companies. And so we have a great deal of interaction with them to develop a relationship to understand their mindset. We've built a curated network of investors, not just who they are and how to categorize them and what they invest in, but their mindset. So mm-hmm. are they batteries included? Do they support the achievement of moonshots? Are they long-term thinkers? Are they entrepreneurial friendly? And really weed out the ones that aren't. And quite frankly, while we started this curated database of investors in our investor network, that we track in something called Startup Health IQ. But the entrepreneurs in Startup Health are the first ones to raise their hand and say, I had a good experience with them. I had a bad experience with them. And it's the signals from the community that tells us who in that network we should be leaning in on and investing alongside of and bringing in to show opportunities to invest in our companies too. So that's kind of one group. The other group are investors in Startup Health. They're what we call our limited partners in our funds or investors in our original founding structure. And those investors are not only investing in startup health, but because startup health invests in these entrepreneurs, they're also aligned with the incentives that we are to make the company successful. That LP network, which is what we call limited partner network, are cherry-picked investors who've not just said they like and want to be involved, but they're actually financially incentivized with us. So we're all aligned. It's around the same exact criteria we use to choose entrepreneurs Obviously, their unique ability is different, but their mindset's not. So Mm -hmm. do they have a transformational mindset? Do they realize their role in achieving the moonshot might be backing the companies? Do they realize their role in the achievement of mindset might be helping find other partners or team members or other ways to help those companies? So this mindset filter allows everybody to be aligned, Mm -hmm. but also clearly and transparently on the same team Mm -hmm. as the entrepreneurs because they care about the moonshots. Many of them are personally vested because of a personal family member or Mm -hmm. friend, a loved one or themselves that have been impacted by health. And so we have become a catalyst in the same way we have for entrepreneurs to making a family-like environment for investors in moonshots to come together and look at deals and look at Mm -hmm. opportunities to get involved. And so we've curated for them the best investment opportunities around the world. We have no geographical boundaries like most Mm -hmm. investors do. You know, we have companies right now in 23 countries, but 
my guess is that'll, that'll significantly increase in the coming quarters and years. We'll have not just 300, but my guess is we're going to visit this discussion in the not too distant future and have a thousand or 2000 or 3000 investments in companies around the world in dozens upon dozens of countries. Because the idea that an investor can get now a global look at innovation, global look at who are the entrepreneurs working on ending cancer or ending addiction or helping on brain health is just unparalleled by what we've assembled. Yeah. So here's the thing. This is just the first step because we're going to talk to you about some extraordinary entrepreneurial strategies that Steve is pulling off. And we're going to fill in more of the pieces as we go along to actually apply the concept of Free Zone Frontier to all the different parts of his organization. Excited to do so, Dan. And while I look forward to our next episode, I have to tell you what you just mentioned around my progress and my growth. I fully attribute to the ability to step back every 90 days with you and think about my thinking and really get freed up to be able to have the clarity that I now have and the confidence I now have and the achievement I now have as a result of your coaching and your real desire to unlock this element of all entrepreneurs. So thank you. Thank you. See you next time.